You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. These are lessons from the book of Job. When studying any book of the Bible, it's important to ask basic questions. First, who wrote it and to whom? It's unknown, but it's likely an Israelite who took this well-known story of a non-Israelite. There is no specific addressee, but it's included in scripture for believers in all times, languages, and cultures. It's believed Job was either a descendant of Shem, a Semite, who lived in the town of Uz. Therefore, he was a grandson of Shem, Noah's son. Or he may have been a non-Israelite believer through Esau and his Hittite wife, Aholibamah. What is it? It's a universal story, not specifically related to the nation of Israel, as all other Old Testament books are, but are of concern to all people. When was it written? It's unknown exactly when the events occurred, nor how long afterwards they were written. Some suggest the patriarchal period, which would have been between 2100 and 1800 BC. And because the Hebrew it was written in was so different from the rest of the Hebrew Bible, it suggests it's the oldest book written. Where? The events of this book take place in the land of Uz, somewhere east of Babel. Why was it written? To teach lessons about who God is and how he works in the world. It examines the issue of innocent suffering and how to respond to circumstances that seem to call God's love and justice into question. It shows that personal sin is not the only reason people suffer. It highlights the sovereignty of God, even in the midst of suffering and evil. It shows the limits of human understanding of God's work and purposes. We see the honest cries and complaints of a hurting person. It demonstrates the proper response to fear God and turn from evil. We should love and worship God for who he is rather than for what he gives. And we can also learn how to and how not to comfort someone who is suffering. And how is it written? By prose in chapters 1, 2, and 42, which bookend poetic speeches. By revealing a spiritual realm which shows Satan inciting God to test Job's faith to determine if it is motivated by self-interest by showing true circumstances and feelings of the sufferer and those witnessing it, to show truth, error, and a mixture of the two in the musings of the people trying to make sense of the events, to show God stepping into the situation to set Job straight and silence his complaints, to show Job's vindication and blessing in the end, proving God right in his assessment of Job's character, and to prove Satan wrong. The century that just passed has been the bloodiest, with great wars, persecutions, plagues, natural disasters, corrupt leaders, and genocides. And this book is for all those who look at those things and wonder why God isn't judging these atrocities. Our job is not to try to understand the meaning of each of these events, nor even to attempt to defend God's honor by explaining them, but to remember his character and then trust and obey. Many people question the existence of God in the face of suffering or evil in the world. They think it means either that God is not good or else he wouldn't tolerate it, or he is not all-powerful since he doesn't stop it.
Thus they stand in judgment of God. They think they are more wise and just than God, even if they don't admit it. Many think like Job. If they could just speak to God, maybe he'd explain himself. We see how that turned out. Still others are defiant. The famous, or infamous, atheist Bertrand Russell said if he could go up to God, he'd spit in his face. He has done so with his words. And people did spit in Jesus' face when he was on earth. But many people speak of the problem of evil, not because they are truly concerned about it and want to make sense of it, but because they are looking for loopholes. If they can find a reason to dismiss the Bible itself by claiming it has errors, or God by finding him unjust, then they can turn their backs on it and go on their way and justify their disbelief. But occasionally this is asked because of a sincere desire to understand the problem of evil and suffering in the world. In that case, I would direct someone who is sincerely questioning the problem of evil to read the book of Job. However, we need to approach the Bible submissively and reverently. We must be teachable and not seek to place ourselves in judgment of it, but let it judge us. Then we will put our hands over our mouths, as Job did. True Repentance Job was overwhelmed with the greatness of God. He began to feel true, godly sorrow. And this was not just remorse or guilt for guilt's sake, but it led to repentance. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So true repentance changes our opinions of ourselves. We no longer try to justify ourselves, but agree with everything he says about us. But a person can't be in the presence of the holiness of God without recognizing the vast difference between themselves and God. Seeing God always results in an awareness of our sinfulness. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And this is also a mark of true repentance. Job knew the wicked only cried out to God when they were in distress. But thankfully, if a person cries out in true repentance, God hears them. And we know that God knows our true heart. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to salvation. It's an exchange of beliefs from lies to truth about God and ourselves. Confession relates to our declaration of what we believe. When we believe, we need to acknowledge it to someone. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So both aspects of repentance and confession are required. What can we learn about Jesus Christ by studying this book of the Bible? My goal, even as we study the Old Testament, is to show that Jesus Christ doesn't just show up in the New Testament. He is there as a scarlet thread in hints, types, and shadows, as the sovereign God who allowed Job's trial, as the mediator Job longed for, as the redeemer he hoped in, as the witness in heaven that Job was assured of, and the ransom found to save him from the pit, as the priest for his family and friends, as the intercessor for his friends before an offended God, and as the God who addressed him at the end of the book. 
See the many scarlet threads at the end of each chapter. So what can we learn from studying this book? We learn that people are all still the same, even if thousands of years have passed. The problems Job faced, grief, loss of his livelihood, illness and pain, are not new. Only the details are different. His response to it, as well as his wife's response and those of the onlookers to his suffering, are all different from each other, but not anything we wouldn't see today. And why is this book recorded? For the same reason the entire Bible has been preserved for us, to respond to the situation at hand and to teach all who follow after. For the people involved in the narratives themselves, God is showing his power, his character, and his involvement with his creation. And because we have his words recorded in this book, believers throughout the ages can learn the same lessons that Job learned. And what can we learn about Satan from studying this book? Satan is a created being, a fallen angel. Angels are called the sons of God. Satan is our adversary, an accuser. He is not omnipresent because he can only be in one place at a time. He is not currently in hell, but that is where he will end up. He roams the earth. He has power, but it is contingent upon the permissive will of God. He is limited in what he can do. He is malevolent. He is a liar and a murderer. He lost this battle because Job's faith was genuine and not dependent on his circumstances. And there are many more verses for personal study on Satan. So what can we learn from the bad example of Job's counselors? Other than their first week of silent support, theirs is a cautionary tale of what not to say to someone who is suffering. Their intention when they agreed to come to see their friend was to comfort him in his grief and suffering. But after a week, they felt they had to respond when Job cursed the day of his birth. And the majority of the book records their speeches and his response. Because they approach the situation with preconceived notions that good people are blessed and wicked people are cursed, they misapplied this faulty, merit-based worldview to Job. They weren't about to readjust their worldview, so instead they changed their assessment of their friend. He must have been pretending to be a righteous man all this time, and his hypocritical lifestyle was now being judged by God. So their counsel reflected this. Also, by putting Job down, they were elevating themselves. So this tells us that when we don't know the whole story, like God does, we must be very careful in our judgments. They were happy enough to throw Job under the proverbial bus, or cart, rather than admit they didn't understand what was happening to him. Also, their delivery was lacking true compassion. Some of what they said was true, about God, about how he rewards evil people with judgment, but it was said in a heartless way so that they ended up figuratively kicking Job while he was down. So we need to be kind when offering any counsel and avoid placing ourselves in a superior position. Paul instructs the Galatians, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. And that wasn't the case with Job being caught in sin, but his friends thought it was. Since Job tried and failed to justify himself before God 
based on his good works, how do you think it will go when wicked men try to convince God to let them into heaven based on their good works? What is the purpose of suffering? Like Job, suffering will humble us so that we realize we are creatures of dust. Job was truly humbled, and Paul recognized this. Or because of these surpassing great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Trials test the quality of a believer's faith. Pastor Jacques Nadeau said, A faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. Saving faith requires perseverance when life seems dark and God's ways don't make sense to us. Peter tells us that trials confirm the genuineness of our faith, not just to others, but to ourselves. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Job understood this idea of refining through fire. He said, But he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. These days we refine oil, sugar, flour, and other products to make them usable. In Job's day, the process was used only for precious metals like gold or silver. First, the hardened rock is broken up. The metal is placed in a crucible, a vessel that can stand intense heat. As the refiner increases the heat, impurities or dross rise to the surface and are skimmed off. The process continues, often up to seven times, until he can see his reflection in the pure metal. And this is how he gauges its progress. He sits over it. So the process of refining is a metaphor used often in scripture to describe trials, which purge us of our sins and make us useful and reflect our God. Job knew this trial was not meant to destroy him, but to test him. How do we hang on as the heat is turned up as it was for Job? We trust in the character and plan of the one who is doing the refining. He does it for his glory. It has a purpose. He is personally overseeing the process. Trials reveal what's in a believer. Much like squeezing grapes produces grape juice and olives produce olive oil. Paul says, Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Job is known for his patience, James 5.11, but it is patient faith and faithful patience to be specific. He waited because there was nothing else he could do, but he waited, trusting in the faithfulness of a good God. 
even though he eventually got so discouraged he cursed the day of his death. He, he didn't curse God. He also didn't take his own life, but left that for God to decide. Suffering will enable us to better comfort those who are going through similar circumstances. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And while it sounds like Paul needs a thesaurus, what he's trying to emphasize is that there is a correlation between the type of suffering we've experienced and the type of comfort we can offer to others. For example, if someone has had a miscarriage, they can better empathize with others who are experiencing it. So when we comfort others and show kindness and concern, we reflect our God who is compassionate and kindness, kind towards us. Suffering produces patience and endurance and grows our faith, faith so that we are mature believers. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Suffering also weans you from this life and gives you an eternal perspective. Paul said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Romans 8.18 It doesn't minimize our suffering, but it encourages us to evaluate it in light of eternity. Life is short and eternity is long. This whole world will be forgotten. Our tears will be wiped away. We will have glorified bodies. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So we are to change our perspective. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So this is an act of will. We are to fix our eyes on our glorious future. Another purpose of trials is to make us acknowledge our weakness and realize we must walk by faith. Job is often set forth as an example of patience under suffering, but we need to avoid glamorizing his situation. D.A. Carson says, We are not spiritual masochists who can only be fulfilled by suffering. If there is any sense in which we delight in sufferings, it is that we delight to follow the Lord Jesus who suffered. Even he did not delight in sufferings. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith is the one who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured it because he could see beyond it to victory. One of God's purposes in Job's suffering it was that future generations of believers would benefit from the lessons of this book. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion Series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for further thoughts on Job. May God bless the study of his word.